Welcome to Tales, Terror, and Torah. It was July. It was hot. I was 12 years old when I heard it. It was a scream, piercing through the forest, out across the field, down the pipeline, over my backyard, through my bedroom window, and onto my ear as I lay fast asleep. At first, I thought I was the only one who had heard it. Until the next day, it was a point of conversation at the breakfast table. My mom thought it was a bobcat. My stepdad thought it was something bigger. Maybe a mountain lion, he said. But after a while, we came back to the same conclusion. It was like nothing we'd ever heard. So loud, it woke us all up from a dead sleep. Yet so terrifying, it kept us in bed, too scared to venture out to see what it was. We gradually spoke less and less about it as the week went on. I did stay out of the woods for a good month. And so did old Smokey our black lab, who when wasn't at home, playing with a ball, lived in those woods. Each night when I went out to the garage to feed him, he lay on his blanket, looking up at me with an expression of fear. Or at least that's the expression I thought his face had. Four weeks would go by with a couple of neighbors over the hill and one farmer reporting that they heard it also. None of that would really grab our attention though. Not until the night my Uncle Bruce would come flying straight down the pipeline, going full speed on his three-wheeler, with his buddy Dougie hanging off the back for dear life. He and his friend Doug would occasionally go up in the middle of the night at the top of the pipeline with a case of beer to shoot the breeze, catch a buzz, and escape the world. We'll never forget the way they were when they came running inside that night. They said, call the cops. I swear I just heard a woman getting murdered up in the woods. Two grown men both raised on farms in the country in upstate New York. Hunters and fishermen, both familiar with all the animals and the sounds that dwell in those woods, heard something so frightening, it took six shots of bourbon each to calm down. They left their case of beer deep in the woods and had no plans on returning to get it. And to this day, for all I know, it still sits there on the forest floor. We didn't hear anything else that night. No scream like it would ever be heard again in those woods. I was reading a book from the school library at the time on Bigfoot. Chapter 5, titled Screams, where eyewitness reports of people who had heard intense loud screams when the creatures were suspected of being around. It was the first I would connect the two similarities. And many years would go by before I would ever become interested in the topic of Bigfoot again. In October of 1967, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were on horseback 25 miles deep in the woods by Bluff Creek, sporting an old movie camera. That day they were there for one purpose, to find 
and potentially filmed the creature that we would come to be known as Bigfoot. Everyone has seen the famous footage, a dark slouched figure walking away from the camera, turning only once to look at the filmmakers. For years, that video clip with a handful of books was all the world had to go on if they wanted to see and read about Sasquatch. The only other way you could have learned about the creature was if you belonged to a Native American tribe or had the unfortunate experience of coming face to face with one. I say unfortunate because most encounters change people forever. What the natives say. If I came to a land that was inhabited by natives and I wanted to know what was in the local forests, I'd ask and trust those natives and what they told me. The following description of Sasquatch comes from all tribes in America and Canada. The tribes are spread across all linguistic groups of native languages. Every native linguistic group has its own name for the creatures, suggesting the stories of them did not all arise in the same place. Descriptions of the creature have it between 7 and 14 feet tall, some having black, red, and even gray hair. Sometimes the hair is short, sometimes the hair is long. Some are told to look more animalistic, while others are reported to look very human. Some tribes say the Sasquatch is their brother. Natives tell of whole families and tribes of the creatures coexisting and hunting together. Some tribes claim that males can mate with human women and speak some human language. To this very day, some tribes will tell you that if you encounter the creature, speak hello, my friend, in their native tongue, and the creature will understand. They are said to have mystical powers. Some of the tribes state that they can turn invisible and even enter into your dreams. Other tribes claim they are harmless and shy and will help a human who is lost in the woods, while others say they are mischievous, play tricks on humans, and will steal food and women and children for the purpose of mating or even eating them. There are stories of certain tribes hunting down and killing these creatures when they grew tired of the beasts sneaking into their camps and stealing their women and children. Females are reported to be shorter, more barrel-shaped, and have breasts. Speaking of breasts, one of the reasons the Patterson-Gimlin film is so believable, the Sasquatch walking in the video has breasts. Detailed breakdowns of this clip can be found online. M.K. Davis does a great one. But in the 1960s, if someone was going to make a costume to make a fake Bigfoot video, why would they put breasts on it? I've always found that to be interesting. The Very Human Eyes Time and time again, people who have encountered Sasquatches said they looked more human than anything. One hunter even said, It was in my crosshairs, and I was too scared to pull the trigger. It looked so human, I was worried I might get charged with manslaughter. Some have aimed down their rifle on the creature after they felt threatened, and swore the creature said, in their mind, Don't shoot, I won't hurt you. Others have claimed the creature has spoken in their minds and saying, If you shoot me, I will kill you, I will come find you. There was a report of a man who was driving down the road, at 60 miles per hour, and saw something coming up on his right. He turned and looked, and it was a giant beast with red hair. At first he thought it was a cow, and then he realized it had a human face and human eyes. Right before it made impact with his car, he said it looked at him with a very human facial expression and smiled. He said the grin was evil. It was a smile to say, I'm about to get you, and there's nothing you can do about it.
My hope is that by the end of the show, like me, you will have a much different understanding of Bigfoot than what those TV shows have been portraying. What TV shows, you ask? Those TV shows of a team of people running around the woods at night, making whooping calls, sporting night vision, knocking on trees, coming this close, but never finding a Bigfoot. And at the end of the show, it's always the same old thing. We'll see you next week. Those shows are a huge letdown, much like the As Seen on TV products. Like with every subject, we can't really rely on TV to be giving us the most in-depth or accurate version. We can conclude that TV is scratching the surface. Some would even say that TV is priming us for something more. In this episode, I'm going to share with you what I've come to learn about Bigfoot over the past four years. I'm not a researcher. I've just been open to the many sources out there that often fly under the radar of mainstream entertainment. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, let's begin. I once thought that if Bigfoot existed, he was an ape wandering somewhere deep in the western forests. Now I realize he's everywhere. Reports have been reported all over the country. A quick Google search will bring up a Bigfoot sighting map. And if you frequent shows like Sasquatch Chronicles and Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, you can hear the occasional trucker telling a story of how they saw one at a truck stop or crossing in front of their semi on the highway. Crossing roads in front of cars is actually a highly reported thing. In the book Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters by W.J. Sheehan, he has a, a story of a couple who came upon a semi aside the road with a trucker who had hit and killed one of the creatures. Stories of the creatures showing up at campsites, hunting camps, farms, and random backyards are out there in droves if you look in the right spot. They are even reported being in the woods not far from major cities. They are closer than you think. I also learned that Bigfoot may not just be an ape wandering around the woods. A few years ago, Dr. Melba Ketchum, the founder of DNA Diagnostics Incorporated, conducted an exhaustive and expensive study with Bigfoot DNA that was collected and given to her by researchers. And the conclusion of her study was that the mitochondrial DNA, that's the DNA on your mother's side, was human. And the nuclear DNA, the DNA that comes from your father and tells your origins, turned up unknown. If this is true, and I believe it is, Bigfoot is part human and part we don't know. She also stated that the Bigfoot DNA was unlike any other DNA of any living creature on Earth. In episode one of Tales, Terror, and Torah, I mentioned I believe that all things paranormal and strange can be traced back to the Watchers. I will do an episode in the future on the Watchers, but for now, the Watchers were a class of angelic beings who ascended to Earth on Mount Hermon and took upon them human wives. The results were a human and angelic hybrid. They corrupted the human DNA. The Book of Enoch states that these beings also took 200 of each animal and made half angelic and half animal hybrids. In my opinion, if Bigfoot is indeed the results of this historical event, its DNA would be hard to detect on the father's side. Remember when angels showed up in the Bible? They were always male. You can find a great interview with Melba Ketchum on the show Coast to Coast AM. Last year I was watching one of those monster shows, monster quest, monster hunters. The kind where they take eyewitness encounters and reenact them. They had one, 
in my state, about 15 minutes from me. A man a few years ago was driving down the road and reported he saw an upright, hairy man who was tall step in front of his car and leap across the road in two steps. I thought if I could contact this man and talk to him, I'd be able to meet my first physical eyewitness of a Sasquatch. I reached out on a social media site for my town and surrounding towns. The type of site where people go to post church events and garage sales and things like that. I made a post asking if anybody knew who this person was or if the person who claimed to see the creature would come across this, if they would contact me, I would love to meet them and ask them a few questions. I had a handful of people reply. Some of the replies were as follows. I think I know who you're talking about, but he may have moved out of the area. Some people also expressing interest if I was to locate him, and a couple people mocking the post to begin with. It wasn't the public replies that really stood out. It was the private message replies. About a half dozen people messaged me and said, I think I've seen similar things too. Another half dozen people reached out and said, I've seen that show. If you find that man, let me know if he's still around. But it was one reply that I got that really caught my attention. It was from a young girl, 16 years old. And the reply simply read this. You know... You shouldn't go looking for these beans. They want to be left alone. They live in the woods. They don't mean us any harm. If you try to find out more information or go looking for them, you may scare them away and they'll never return. They're guardians of the forests. Well, that's an interesting message to receive. I'm asking if anybody knows of a gentleman who saw a Bigfoot and she jumps right to, don't go looking for them, they'll leave. They're guardians of the forest? I messaged back and asked her if she could share some more details, and she did. She said that she's been seeing these creatures in her backyard in the woods for 14 years. She said they always stay at about a 20-yard distance. They come out at night. She said they hide behind trees, and they communicate using some sort of sign language. A lot of them will be up in the trees. Some of them have red eyes. And she said they've never tried to hurt her. But she did say when her and her family are asleep, they would come up to her house, tap on the walls, and growl. She also said her father swore that he saw a flying fairy one night outside. Now, she didn't know that I knew, but other paranormal activities surrounding Sasquatches and properties, Sasquatches peering in the windows and slapping on the side of the house and growling, hiding behind trees, using some sort of hand gestures to communicate, those are things I've heard over and over by other people. I messaged her back one more time and asked her if I could possibly come be given a tour of her woods and if her father would like to talk to me. She never replied. She probably didn't know if she could trust me or not. And like other eyewitnesses who have seen Sasquatch or have these creatures on their property, it's so surreal to them. And while it's physically in front of them, they're trying to wrap their minds around it. They don't really want to bring outsiders in especially if they don't know they can trust them. My search to this day still continues to find someone in my area that I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with who's actually seen one in front of their eyes. Habituation of the creatures. There's been numerous stories of people, sometimes senior citizens that are lonely and live alone and have no more family, who when they realize these creatures live in their property, begin to give them gifts or feed them. Sometimes this ends up being somewhat of a rewarding situation for both parties. There's many stories of Bigfoot leaving stones and other objects in replace of things they take from your campsite. 
There was a story of an old lady. She was 75 years old, and her kids had long moved away, and her husband passed away. She had known that she had Sasquatch on her property for a while. She said, it was the same family. I got to see the young ones born and grow up and move away. She was spending a hefty amount of money a month feeding these Sasquatch. She gave them dog food and horse feed. She said, they really loved the horse feed. Things went bad, however, when she stopped feeding them because she had to go on a trip to visit her family. She said when she came back, her house was destroyed. Her dog had been killed. Two of her goats had been killed. Her front door was kicked in, and there were scratches and broken glass all around her house. This story was told to me by a friend who would like to remain anonymous. The old lady in the story was someone he knew very well through church. Down south, she lived alone in a large house on 300 acres of forest. Her kids had grown up and gotten married and moved away, and her husband had passed away. 15 years ago. She was in her 70s and lived alone. She had a couple dogs, a couple cows, and a few other animals, and some chickens. She was a tough old girl and tried to live self-sufficiently as she could. She went into town once a month. She did go to church every Sunday. She shared with my friend that she had a family of Sasquatch living on her property. She'd known about it for years. And about 10 years ago, she began feeding them, leaving out an occasional leftover chicken and leftover dinner. It got to the point where they were coming around and expecting it. They'd always come at night, she said. They'd always tap on the house, look in the window, and make subtle noises and gestures to let her know, we're here, do you have any food? Being lonely, she obliged them. She started buying large bags of dog food and horse feed to feed them. She was going through quite a bit of it. The man down at the feed store always wondered what she was up to because she didn't have that many dogs and she didn't own any horses. She did this for about four straight years and she found the experience with habituating the family of Sasquatch rewarding and in some ways fulfilling. Then her son paid for her to come round flight to visit them in Florida. She would be gone for three weeks. She asked the neighbor if he would come by and feed her dogs and her chickens and other animals, she did not make the neighbor aware of the Sasquatch. Although she suspected that he knew they were around, she never told him or anyone that she fed them. She got a call a week into her vacation and her trip seeing her son. The neighbor sounded a little shook up and said, when he went over one morning, both of her dogs had been killed. Not hit by a car, but their heads ripped off. The chickens were dead, nothing ate them. They also were stomped into the ground with their heads ripped off. He also said that her house had some damage. Her front porch was smashed, the front door was smashed, and large rocks had looked like they'd been thrown and bounced off the house. When she came home, she regained feeding the Sasquatch, and she knew deep down in her heart that they were taking vengeance on her not feeding them. There's many habituation stories out there of people feeding Sasquatch on their property. Often, it ends on a negative note if the people cannot keep their end of the bargain by continually being able to put out food for the Sasquatch. This next story was told to me by a friend who joined the Facebook group Tales, Terror, and Torah. He also asked to remain anonymous. Unlike the first story about the habituation that was secondhand, this one was experienced firsthand by him. It's when he was 15 years old and he went on a hiking trip with his father and his uncle. They were in the Smoky Mountains. He said the first night they got tired and set up their tent in their camp. They were having a fire. They immediately got the feeling that they were being watched. The feeling was so intense 
said his father and his uncle, that they began to wish they had brought a gun. But this feeling being new to them, they just wrote it off as maybe overthinking. Later that night, he said they woke up to some grunts and the sound of something very heavy walking around their tent in circles. They would stay in the woods four more days, and this happened every night. Each day, they would try to walk 10 to 15 miles, and whatever it was would follow them. Soon as the sun went down and they began to make dinner over the fire, the feeling came again. The hair on the back of their neck stood up, and they got goosebumps, all feeling like they were being watched. He said he remembers his dad and his uncle being very worried, and once again mentioning that they should have brought a gun. The same thing that night. Heavy footsteps around the tent, and grunts. They cut their hiking trip short early, got out of there, and went home. He said as soon as they got back in the car and was on the highway, none of them ever really talked about it, and he said the odd thing was is we kind of forgot about it. One of the most alarming aspects of Sasquatch has nothing to do with the beast itself. It has to do with the government. There are many, many reports of people who have seen the creature, or even got it on video, who have been visited by two to four people that day or the following day. These people always somehow know that they've had contact with the beast and tend to harass them and bully them into keeping quiet. How these people know, I'm not sure. Off the top of my head, I remember watching a documentary on Edward Snowden, the whistleblower of the mass surveillance here in our country. He said that the government has access to every phone, every bank account, every computer, even when they're shut off. Maybe this government organization is given liberty to tap into some of that technology. There's been people who have reported getting pictures of Sasquatch on their phone, only to have it suddenly disappear, or their phone stop working, or someone show up at their house the next day and confiscate their phone. After all, who's going to believe that this really happens? If it's true that there is a cover-up, they're doing a very good job, but why would they do it? Where is the evidence? A good excuse that non-believers in the creature bring up is, where is all the evidence? Everybody's carrying a cell phone nowadays. Why aren't there more pictures? That is a very good question and difficult one to ask. But when you weigh why is there no good evidence against the thousands and thousands of people that have reported seeing Sasquatch, you have a bit of a contradiction there. There is a lot of people who have claimed they've seen the animal. The subject of Bigfoot can go down many trails and subtrails. It can be as simple as you want or as exhaustive as you want. I tried to give you enough to chew on to spark your interest to do further research for yourself. In episode three, I'll be including some stories that have been given to me by members of Tales, Terra, and Tora Facebook group. This concludes episode two of Tales, Terra, and Tora. Thank you.